Good morning, good afternoon and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm James Schofield, the writer of the stories in Season 2 of this podcast, Behind the Bottom Line. Can I ask you a question? What do you really know about the people you work with? What I've learnt is that everybody has an unusual story to tell about themselves. These stories might be funny, sad, or frankly weird. And over the years, I've turned these people and events into short stories for various magazines. In each episode of Behind the Bottom Line, I read you my original story, and afterwards I tell you something about its real-life background. Today's story is called Cyber Romance, and should be interesting for anyone who has met a romantic partner online. Cyber Romance The feeling I got when I finally managed to leave my physical body and upload myself into the internet, was better than anything I had ever felt before. It was like that moment when you dive into water. Suddenly your body is weightless and you can twist and move anywhere you want. But I could swim through the entire world at the speed of light. That's all I did for a while. Internet surfing like nobody's ever done before. Of course, like any place, there are areas of the web where you shouldn't go if you don't want trouble. But I was quick to learn, and soon I could travel nearly anywhere, find out about anybody and, and this is the fun part, do almost anything. You see, this networked world makes so much possible. The person who controls the internet controls the world. If you don't believe me, here are a couple of examples. Remember when all those laws were passed to stop smoking in public places in Europe? That was me. It was so easy. I just sent emails from insurance companies to governments, got into Big Tobacco's secret statistics on smoking-related death and diseases, and then sent the information to the press. Hey presto, it was done. And even the French had to stop trying to kill themselves with cigarettes. Or what about gun control in the US? They said it couldn't happen, but I arranged it. And then I gave the FBI the names and addresses of those crazy doomsday preppers who hadn't turned in their weapons when they were supposed to. So, I think you'll agree that I've done some pretty cool things. Unfortunately, I may have crossed some kind of moral line now. You see, I probably sound like a teenager here, but I'm in love. And you're allowed to do anything when you're in love, right? Her name's Helen, and when I first saw a photo of her on her blog, it was such a shock to my system that I sent a small wave through the internet, causing a crash on the Nikkei index and two large banks to fail. Anyway, one look, and I was hooked. I read her posts about art, which I didn't understand. They just made me feel stupid. But then I realised I didn't have to concern myself with her brain. I could just watch her on TV. Helen works in an art gallery in Manhattan, so most of her day is spent within range of a security camera somewhere. Of course, I wanted to be with her at home too, so I sent an order from Homeland Security to the FBI telling them to install cameras around her house while she was out. People might call this stalking, but I think that's too judgmental. I meant to no harm. I just wanted to be with her. And those evenings in her flat, 
just the two of us relaxing together on her couch and watching a film. Those were the times I liked best. However, I'm a reasonable man. I was happy for her to have other people in her life. Okay, I admit that I had to get rid of one idiot who wanted Helen to go on a date with him and wouldn't take no for an answer. After the third time, I took matters into my own digital hands and um, organised a car crash for him. I just changed two sets of traffic lights to green at the same time and BAM! Problem solved. As long as her other men friends were gay and the women were like her friend Francine, who created computer-based art, I didn't get involved, even if Helen stayed overnight at Francine's place a few times after their girls' nights out. Anyway, after about six months, I decided we should meet. I created this cool avatar for myself, with all the best bits from my favourite film stars, plus my personal hero, Steve Jobs. Then, one day, when Helen was writing her blog, I walked into her screen, said hi, and told her everything about me. She freaked out. I shouldn't have been surprised. I had got this kind of reaction with depressing regularity when I was a physical being, too. Anyway, she smashed her computer, found and tore out two of the cameras, but she missed the ones hidden behind the bathroom mirror and inside the lamp in the living room. Then she left the building. I followed her using security cameras on the street and thought about getting the police to bring her back, but decided that would just make her hysterical. So, for two weeks, I left her alone, until one evening when she sent out a tweet saying she was going online again and wanted to talk to me. The first thing that surprised me as I activated the cameras was that Francine was there and the flat had lots of new computer equipment and several screens. Francine was working at one of the computers and Helen was standing next to her, looking as beautiful as always. Is it ready? she asked. Francine nodded. Then start it. Good evening, ladies. They both jumped about a foot in the air as my avatar appeared on all the screens. Hi, said Helen. Thanks for coming. You're just in time. What's that supposed to mean? She smiled. And then, far away, I felt something. At first, little scratches at the distant edges of the internet that were multiplying fast and began to feel like, like holes being burnt in my memory. My avatar must have shown discomfort. Feel that? said Helen. My girlfriend is doing that to you. Those are millions of search-and-destroy spiders hunting you down everywhere on the web. Girlfriend? Spiders? I wasn't sure which was harder to believe, that Helen was a lesbian or that Francine had pumped this poisonous code into me. Then Helen leant forward and kissed Francine on the mouth, which made at least one thing clear. So I decided it was time to leave before... On the other side of the Atlantic, in a hospital in London, the duty nurse picked up her phone. 
Dr. King? It's about the coma patient in room 10. Yes, that's right, the, the, the software engineer. Yes, yes, well, his, his life support systems have just stopped showing any activity. Do you want to call the relatives, or shall I? Cyber Romance was published in Business Spotlight in 2013. The thinking for it, or the background to the story, uh, you really need to date back to 2012. And I think that what you can see here is that for the first time, uh, I've become aware really of the power of the internet uh, and how it affects all of our lives. And it may surprise everybody listening to this podcast here in 2020. But for me, this was the time that I became aware of how influential it was. So first of all, there's sort of practical things like, for example, in 2012, the number of CCTVs per thousand people was something like three times higher in the UK than it was in China. And this has changed now. Uh, um, The country with the most CCTV per thousand people is the US followed by China uh, followed by UK um, which is still quite surprising considering the size of the population compared to the US or or China. There were a couple of things that interested me um, about the potential for the the internet and also remember this was um, pre-2016 and the way that the the um, tech companies like Facebook and Google were abused by uh, the Brexit campaigners and Donald Trump to manipulate uh, referendums and manipulate elections in the direction that they wanted. Um, so I took perhaps a, a slightly rosy and optimistic view of the internet at that time. And I think you can see that in the way my protagonist uses the knowledge that he gets by uh, being able to to surf so widely through the internet, he uses the knowledge that he gains uh, for good um, and manages to unlock the secrets that Big Tobacco have hidden away about the uh, number of deaths caused by smoking and managed also to uh, introduce gun control into the US, which um, in 2020 doesn't seem to have moved one step closer. Um, 2012, of course, was the year of the Sandy Hook massacre in an elementary school in the US. Uh, And I suppose that my thinking was um, that information is there and it's available in the internet. Uh, If it was only made public, if it was only made transparent, it could do a lot of good. I suppose now um, I'm perhaps a little bit wiser and a little bit um, more cynical Uh, about that but I think this story represents a more positive and optimistic view about the internet of course what you could say is how the central character behaves in this is really um, foretelling how the internet has in many ways sadly developed Um, and he uh, although he uses it for good he then moves on to uh, abusing the power that he's got Perhaps this just reflects the old adage, power corrupts absolute, power corrupts absolutely. 
And last of all, I suppose what you can also see here is the dream of immortality. If you were able to upload your consciousness into the internet, um, theoretically, you could never die. Or could you? Um, and that's really what I'm doing at the end of the story. I'm leaving it very ambiguous. Is this just a dream from a dying coma patient? Or is this something that really happened? I don't know. Anyway, I hope if you have had any online dating experience, it's been a little bit more positive than the experience that Helen had here with this strange character who starts stalking her. But I hope that you all enjoyed listening to Cyber Romance today. I'll be back next week with a story called Video Games, which takes a humorous look at the inner workings of the European bureaucracy in Brussels. Please subscribe on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcast or whichever app you use to make sure you never miss an episode. And tell your friends, write an online review or write to me directly at james.rupert.schofield at gmail.com to let me know what you think. Until the next episode of Behind the Bottom Line, this is James Schofield saying goodbye. Goodbye.